Month one of our Bible school starting August 10th is Bible Hacks. Today, we're going to talk about context. Welcome, Abbaology Insiders. I'm Jake Stringer, your host and founder of the Abbaology Movement. The purpose of Abbaology is to transition people from judicial, legal, fear-based, and courtroom concepts of God into a loving, familial experience of Him. This is your home for free Abbaology content. Check out Abbaology.net for more, including an eight-minute-long detailed month-by-month breakdown of our Insider Intensive, which is a six-month One subject per month Bible school taking place inside of a closed Facebook group that begins August 10th. I'm going to assume that you're hungry, that you're ready, and you don't want me to hold back. So let's journey from theology to Abbaology together. But what says it? The word is near you, even in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Raise your hand if you've been in a service where this passage was read. A lot of times it happens at an altar call at the end of the service. A lot of times there's a guy on keyboard trying to set the mood or a guy strumming an acoustic guitar. And this is a time of response ministers will create so that they can get people saved. And saved essentially means if you can recite this, these passages, these scriptures, which we've come to term the sinner's prayer. If you'll say this out loud, you will be saved. And the way that's defined is instead of going to hell after you die, you'll now go to heaven. Instead of being burned forever, consciously after you die, you'll now be able to be with the Lord in the afterlife. Instead of being not in God's family, if you'll recite this prayer, then you'll get into God's family. Instead of being a guilty, separated sinner, you will now be an innocent, united saint. Instead of being them, you'll become us. And this is kind of the formula for, quote, getting people saved that has been popular since the early 1800s. And I say that because history is important. So many times, you know, I saw a quote by a good friend of mine named John Scott yesterday, and the quote went along the lines of, in one generation, something can become assumed truth, even if if it wasn't true in the previous generation. So you and I, if you're listening to this podcast You were born after a transition that happened in the church, where the church began at the end of services, there would be this time of response, and people would be able to come up front and recite this prayer, and they actually got the idea from political rallies, where a certain politician, he would rally people together, and then he'd bring them up in the front to all be together, and he just saw it was a very powerful thing to do, and ministers kind of stole this idea. And it provides a very neat and tidy way to count the number of people you're getting saved. Now, I grew up in that same situation. I'm not here to tear it down. Remember at Abbaology, 
There are times of demoing when we have our sledgehammer in our hand, but just talking about something that truly happens week after week in America and in Western Europe, week after week, is not me demoing it. Remember, Abbaology, we have framing and finish hammers in our hand, but we got to talk about some of this stuff. So in the first month of the Abbaology Bible School, online Bible school that starts August 10th, the first month is dedicated to Bible hacks. These are interpretive tools that scholars have in their interpretive tool belt, and more and more and more Christians have in their tool belt, that if we can get in our interpretive tool belt, the Bible will not cause uh, MCD, mass confusion disorder, or BCD, Bible confusion disorder, any longer, and some things will start to fall into place and some things will make sense. So one of those Bible hacks, of course, is context. So I heard said by uh, a man named Greg Boyd, he gave this illustration, the Bible is not a cookbook. In a cookbook, it doesn't matter what's on the page before or the page after, what was said in the chapter previous or the chapter after, because on each page of a cookbook is a self-contained recipe. You don't have to look outside of that page. And he says the Bible is not that way. It's not a cookbook. You do have to consider what is said on the previous page and the page after the previous chapter, and really the whole book as a whole, or the whole letter. So, as usual, I'm going to keep this podcast short, but I want to just get into some some context about Romans 10, 9 and 10, that we've made the sinner's prayer that is the way that all people for all time receive Jesus into their heart. Now, before I say this, I am pro you responding in some way to the truth of the announcement of the good news that you are in the family of God. If that's walking up to an altar, do it. I think that there is something powerful about putting action to something that's shifted in your heart or something you've awakened to. I feel that it it makes a mark on your brain. You'll remember the day. It's more powerful than not putting an action to it. I would encourage you don't go to the altar just because you're afraid of hell. It's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance or a mind shift. And so I am pro that. But with that said, with all the qualifiers laid out, I just want to go back just to the beginning of Romans 9 to bring some context, okay? So we already read 10, 9, and 10. Look at Romans 10, verse 1, okay? We're going back 10 verses. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them. Who's the them? Is it us? No, it's first century Israel. For I bear first century Israel record that they, who's they? Is it us? No, it's first century Israel. They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they first century Israel, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for every one, two words, that believes. Woo! Okay. So, remember, we're talking context. 
So verse 1 says that Paul's prayer, not for you and me, but for first century Israel, is that they might be saved. Now that word is sozo, and you can look up any definition of that word and you'll never find anything about the afterlife. It talks about being delivered, made whole, preserved, okay? So what he's essentially saying is my prayer for my fellow Jews is that they might be delivered. They have a zeal for God, but they don't understand what's going on. They're not according to knowledge. They're ignorant of God's righteousness, or that word means to be as you ought to be, and they go about establishing their own methods of being as they ought to be. So think about it. What was their way of becoming as they ought to be before God? It was following the law. Remember, only natural Israel had the law covenant between them and God. So they haven't submitted themselves to the righteousness of God because that's a righteousness which is by faith or the Greek word pistis, which means persuasion of the heart. They were stubbornly clinging to the law system's way of establishing righteousness, which was following the law and leaning on your natural natural bloodline that goes back to Abraham, Abraham that they had and also their birth order, which we're going to talk about as well. Now look at this phrase, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Now take a moment, context. Who had the law? The Gentiles? No. Paul saying, making the statement, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness, would not mean anything to a Gentile who had never grown up under the law. This statement is made to Jewish people because they are under the law. And he's saying if you would like to be saved or delivered from from trying to earn righteousness by following the Mosaic covenant, by following the law, Christ is the end of creating your own righteousness that, that way for every space one as in every space one of the Jews. (laughs) Because the context is a prayer for Israel, his fellow Jewish people. So he gets to verse four. That makes sense to them because they have been trying to earn righteousness by the law. And so he says, man, this revelation of Christ, of the righteousness of God, which comes by persuasion of the heart, not through self-righteous works, It will deliver you from living under a law-based bondage, from trying to earn right standing with God through following the law. And so he gets down, this is still the context when we get to verses 9 and 10. Now what's happened is we have cookbooked verses 9 and 10 right out of the context of the book of Romans and just, just chapter 10. We've cookbooked it, but remember the Bible's not a cookbook. You can't do that because then we can make those verses mean all kinds of stuff that Paul did not intend them to mean. So let's go back to, ver- to chapter 9. 
If you just go back to chapter 9, verse 1, he says, I say the truth in Christ, and I do not lie, my conscience bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that I was cursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. So who's he talking about? Jewish people. Remember, Paul is sent to the Gentiles, but his heart is for his fellow Jews. It's just like you when you get a revelation of the grace of God, of the new covenant. What do you want to do? You want to go get those close to you and get them to see what you see. (laughs) Now imagine God asks you to go talk to a, a group of people you've never really cared for. You would, you would do what God says, probably, hopefully, but you would never lose your desire to bring those who have always been the family you've known along into your revelation. So this is what Paul is saying. So he says, my pra- I'm talking to my kinsmen according to the flesh. This is a Bible hack called context, okay? And if you're wondering if there's any doubt that he's talking about Jewish people. Look at verse four, Romans 9, 4. Who are Israelites to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, and the covenants? Remember, Gentiles did not have the covenants. And the giving of the law. He's making it so clear he's talking to Jewish people. And the service of God and the promises. So for time's sake, I won't go all the way through Romans 9. But he talks about how the Jewish people, in in chapters 9 and 10, he says, you all believed that you were righteous, you were as you ought to be, because of your bloodline that traces back to Abraham. You believed you were as you ought to be before God because you were the firstborn. When he says God loved Jacob and hated Esau, that's not a literal statement. If If you researched Esau's life, he was so blessed that he had to ask for no more blessing. Okay, Esau was not cursed. So, look, see, if you cookbook that verse out without looking at the context, without asking what would a Jew have understood when they read this from Paul, then you can make it mean anything you want it to mean. I think what, what it's declaring there, this is what I believe, okay? I'm not saying this is the only belief. This is, this is Paul commenting on the whole birth order thing. Israel was, quote, the firstborn of God, and so they believed they had the blessing of the firstborn. This is, if you remember Jacob and Esau in the womb, he wrestled Esau to be the firstborn. That's a prophetic picture of natural Israel. They believed they were righteous before God because they were the firstborn of all nations. And then you get to chapter 10 and Paul says, you guys believe because you had the covenants, because you had the law, you also believed you were righteous. But Christ is the end of that for every space one. Every space one of what? Everyone, Jew, any of the Jews, any Jewish person that believes this. Christ will be the end of the law for your righteousness. In other words, you'll get the revelation. I'm already righteous. 
because of Christ, not because I'm following the law. And then that ends you believing you have to earn righteousness by following the law. Now, those of us that grew up in legalistic environments, we too believed, just like first century Jews did, that we earned righteousness through following the law. Now, that was a wrong belief we're repenting from or changing our mind from. We were never under the law as Gentiles. No one has been under the law for almost 2,000 years. We just grew up in a covenantal mixture. And as Paul and Jesus said, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. If you grew up with a little bit of legalistic teaching telling that your right standing, telling you your right standing before God depended on your your ability to follow laws or denominational ordinances or some sort of behavioral code, that leavens the entirety of your thinking. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. So when you get to verse 9 and 10, Paul says, man, believe it in your heart. Confess it with your mouth. The word is near you. In other words, it's this truth is already inside of you. But your religious programming makes it difficult for you to speak it out. Speak it out. I believe God raised Jesus from the dead and that he's the end of the law for my righteousness. (laughs) Anyway, context. Check out abbaology.net, subscribe to the podcast, watch the eight-minute detailed video about the Bible school, um, and see if it's something you might be interested in. It's going to be an amazing online community. God bless you guys. Thank you.